Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Books and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests, and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability explicit or implied shall be extended to W4CY Radio or its employees or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. to the Epic Love Radio Show. This is episode 51 where we have special guest in studio, Ricky Aiken. Thank you all for tuning in out there on Facebook land. I am here. My name is Travis Suit with my beautiful co-host, the one and only Blair McKnight, a.k.a. Where's Blair? Hey. Hi. And welcoming in studio as well, uh, a tandem duo. Look at them sitting over there. They're so handsome. Uh, both over there and over there. Uh, we have our very special guest tonight, Ricky Aiken. Say hello. Hey, what's up, y'all? Super excited to be here. Thank you so much. Thank and you. also, sitting next to him, and the reason Ricky's here, so we get to hear their story at some point tonight, uh, we got the one and only Sean Timms, director of the Piper's Angels Salt Supply Program. What's up, everybody? You got such a radio voice. I know, right? <laughs> It's so natural. It's so natural. It's so smooth. It is. And he will be also filling in next week, because I'll be up at the Carolina Cup. Yep. So it will be the two of you. I'm excited to listen. It's going to be, I'm going to, and I'm going to call in. Hopefully. You trust us alone <laughs> I, well, I to run know. the show? I have no idea. <laughs> but, uh, so we are here with the Epic Love Radio Show, promoting the positive and sharing inspiring stories of love through action. And we have a really powerful one for you today. And uh, so episode 51, uh, brought to you by the Piper's Angels Foundation. Uh, if you want to learn more, go to pipersangels.org. Our mission is to support and improve the lives of families in the cystic fibrosis community. And thank you to all of our angels out there supporting Piper's Angels Foundation and the Crossing for a Cure. Speaking of the crossing, oh my goodness, we're 58 days out. Whew. It's really, there's, there's def, the pressure is mounting. It is. And I hope everybody is, their training is going well. Thank you to the 10 viewers we have live right now on Facebook. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, we really appreciate your viewership and support. Make sure you're hitting lots of likes and hearts um, and sharing the, uh, the live feed tonight. So we've got 14 days left to register for the crossing. So at 11 p.m. on May 1st, the registration closes. We currently have 
over 200 paddlers. Finally broke the 200 mark for the first time in the event history. Um, and we also broke last year's fundraising record of $282,500. We are currently at 288000 in fundraising, which is 58% of our goal. With 58 nice. days to go. Yeah. Interesting, huh? So smashing records is a norm for the Piper's Angels. <laughs> what, Crusa <laughs> what the Crusaders do, yeah. It's a growing event, that's for sure. Um, and because of that, my suggestion is, on my other note here, book your rooms. Folks, if you haven't booked your rooms in Bimini yet, make sure you book them and book your slips for your boats. So once the boat slips and the rooms are gone, that's it. Bimini has no more. It's a small island in the Caribbean. So uh, you'll be sleeping with a friend or you can ask your friend with a yacht to <laughs> motorboat over there. Then you can sleep on the boat. I don't know. But uh, please book your rooms. And a shout out to our top sponsors for... Uh, 2019, we have Seacore Island Lines based out of Fort Lauderdale. A huge help with our logistics for the crossing. Certero Wellness. Um, check them out at Certero Wellness online. And please follow and like them on Facebook and social media. They've been a huge help. They're going to be hooking us up with some really cool features in the crossing event this year. Um, and I'm excited to make announcements about those as we get closer. Big shout out to Margaritaville. And our advisor to the board, Jimmy Buffett, thank you so much for your amazing support over the years. And to Hensler Financial, DJ Barker, one of our Crossing Crusaders and Paddlers out of Atlanta, Georgia, uh, thank you so much uh, for supporting through your organization and company, Hensler Financial. Really appreciate it. So here we are. How are you, Blair? I'm doing so great. How are you? Pretty good. good. I've heard some really funny jokes tonight. Actually, I heard the same joke at least six times, I think. Well, and each time it was still funny. We really want that joke to sink in. I think you, you should share the joke with the live viewers and see if anybody guesses. Okay. All right. Is it? Are we going to get some live participation yeah. here? Let's hear it. Because uh, you guys better be ready for this. Okay. So what do you call a rooster that stares at a pile of lettuce? I need a guess. Oh, Someone on Facebook, we are waiting for responses. And this is going to be real awkward if we don't get one. Come on, somebody. All right. Maybe we can tell knock-knock jokes in the meantime. <laughs> <laughs> All right, give him the answer. A chicken sees a salad. <laughs> I, think you, I think you nailed it. I think you got I it. I did. I did nail yeah, it. I totally nailed, nailed it. it. You nailed it. <laughs> nice job. Nice no, job. We have all um, been talking about implementing dad jokes on this show, yeah. so maybe we need to start out the show with a dad joke yeah. every week. Where's Blair? She's eating the chicken Caesar salad. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love this show so much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, Sean, welcome to the Epic Love Radio Show. Yes, Thank welcome. you. I feel like I've been here. Welcome back. It's a different studio yes. am i in the same place no you're not no. yes <laughs> not so at all. we are in our are in our new studio thanks to jeremy and inlet properties for letting us use their space we owe them so much and appreciate it we're here in jupiter florida yeah yeah we're at the, it's the epic love radio show broadcasting live from love street seems fitting right <laughs> right yeah for sure lots yeah. of love going on here. tons of love going on i love it so yeah so the last time you were on the show you were with really your family 
Yep. Yep. I was with my sister, who's an inspirational CF warrior, sharing her stories of all the battles she's had to conquer over her years with the disease. And uh, the greatest thing about this show is how we diversify in our stories of epic love. It's not just about people battling diseases. It's about people battling all types of uh, situations that we need to overcome in our community. And that's why I thought it was an awesome idea to bring my buddy Ricky Aiken. Yeah, for awesome. sure. Yeah, we well, really appreciate you connecting it, him with us. It's a perfect story for us yeah, to share. Absolutely. So I think we need to maximize our time here. So I think we should just go ahead and dive in. Um, you know, Ricky, thank you so much for being here. Um, who do you got in studio with you here? Uh, Off camera. Jaquez and Pokey. We call him Pokey. But <laughs> you guys can come poke your head around the corner yeah, over here if you want to say hi. Yeah, come say hi. <laughs> he came with the crew. Yeah. yeah. Their faces are too nice to keep out of the camera. Come yeah, on. there he is. Look at these guys. Watch the wall. There you go. There we go. So there they are. So his backup and his crew. So we've got the Yeah, we've got the hope dealers here, and we're gonna find out more about what that means. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. Thanks guys for being here. Appreciate it. How long have you been working with Ricky? Almost a year. Almost a year. Wow. These are some of my newbies. You know, I got guys who've been like since 2015. But these are some I've known these guys for a while, especially this one, but. They're newer to the program, and uh, you know the stand-up guys. I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be working with them. You know, so thanks y'all for coming with me today. Aww, good backup. Oh awesome. yeah, I picked the toughest guys I could find. <laughs> and I would just like to say too that the Wi-Fi was not working here until these men stepped in. So they really did bring the hope with them this yeah, evening. It was. Because otherwise, there would be a hopeless situation. No one would have heard that amazing joke. <laughs> so thank you, guys. We really appreciate it. It's yeah. awesome. So, Ricky, why don't we kind of dive into inner, inner City Innovators and talk about okay. what you do and how you got started? All right. Well, Inner City Innovators is a nonprofit corporation committed to eradicating youth delinquency and gun violence in the inner city of West Palm Beach first and then beyond. And uh, the reason I'm so passionate or concerned with eradicating uh, youth violence in particular is just because of my experiences growing up. You know, I was born and raised in the inner city of West Palm Beach, the Dunbar Village housing projects to be exact. Uh, my mother struggled with crack addiction around the time of my birth. So I was kind of raised by my grandmother. Both of my older brothers uh, kind of were they were the neighborhood drug dealers. You know, uh, looking back, all my aunts and uncles struggled with drug addiction. So for me, as a young man growing up in the projects, I kind of felt like my life chances were slim. I was either going to be on drugs or dealing it. So I remember very early on, as early as third grade, uh, being labeled as emotionally handicapped and as having a slow learning disability. So I never saw school as kind of being my path out. So fast forward to sixth grade, I started associating myself with young men from the community who kind of have very rough backgrounds themselves. And you know the adage, hurt people hurt people. You know, we were hurt young people coming from very broken and hurt communities. And we carry that, that hurt and that anger with us to school. So by the end of my eighth grade year, I remember being expelled from Palm Beach County school system and having to spend my ninth grade year at an alternative school. So, you know, like growing up, it's just like we, we like to think that growing up, when I grow up, I'm going to be this or I'm going to be that. But I feel like for me growing up, it was almost as if my life was predetermined 
until um, I had some amazing things happen. And um, so, yeah, that's the that's the that's the brief why behind why I do what I do. You know, I got a deep connection to it. Uh, I've lost many of my friends to gun violence, uh, rather they perpetrated or victimized by it. And um, it's just it's the easy thing to do. You know, when you're growing up in a community of concentrated disadvantage, like for most people, when they listen to rap music, it's just entertainment. But when you're growing up fatherless without direction in life, those rappers are talking about a reality that's very familiar to you. You know, it's nothing for you to to have a connection to the neighborhood dope man who will give you a few lays and now you're, you're into the crack game or you get an ounce, start out with an ounce of weed and now you're selling weed. You know, you know that guy. And if these rappers are saying that's how they became famous, that's how they received prominence, that's how they got the riches and the fame. And I'm a young man with no educational future, so I believe. Uh, uh, like that's the way I'm going to choose, you know, and, and I know how easy it is for young people to choose that route. And I feel like it's up to me as someone that, that survived, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate to be on this side of things, not being a convicted felon. Uh, me and my friends were shot at many times, but I was fortunate enough to never be touched by a bullet. I believe that I made it through all the things that I was able to make it through to be a voice for my friends that couldn't make it, you know, my friends that are no longer on this earth, uh, my friends that are now struggling through life uh, due to uh, being convicted felons and some of the choices we made when we were young. You know, my number one goal with these guys is to keep them free and alive through age 25. You know, the brain's not fully developed until you're 21 years old. Yet for these kids, you know, we expect them coming from the backgrounds that they do to just be ready for the world at 18. And a lot of times it just doesn't work out that way. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of programs targeting uh, young men from these communities uh, as they get 15, 16, 17 and 18. You know, they, they like the number one thing important to them at that time is what their peers think about them. So they're going to do the things to seem cool in front of their peers and those things are going to go against what society and the adults in the world are telling them. And as someone that understands that, I want to walk with them through what I consider to be the most formative years of their life with them and uh, do everything I can to keep them from making some of the mistakes that my friends and I made when we were their age. Wow. Yeah, that's that's amazing. It is. Uh, you know, you brought something up in what you said about when you were in third grade, uh, you were labeled as emotionally handicapped. handicapped. Yeah. Now, that's interesting because in kind of to relate it to the cystic fibrosis community, yeah. you know, a lot of the children are diagnosed with the disease at a young age. Yeah. So like in my mind, that's like a diagnosis. It's oh, like yeah. somebody telling you, well, yeah. this is this is who you are. Right. You know, and, right. and, 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 and so, you know, I think the big challenge is how do you not let that define you? Yeah. Moving forward. So, I mean, was that a specific, do you remember it as a specific instance or a memory or how did that come about and what, what did you actually feel going through that? Yeah. Well, at that time, you know, you didn't really think about it. You just, you saw this label and well, I'm different or I'm not as smart as these other people. So it kind of takes away the motivation to try as hard. And, uh, you know, and it's something you're ashamed of, you know, when all your friends are going down one hall to go to class, you're going down a different hall, you know. Yeah. So you had all those things that really, you know, kind of taught you your place. You know, 
our classes will run more like prisons than they were actual classrooms. You know, let's keep these kids, uh, the ones that are causing the behavioral disruptions in our school, let's keep them in this class, in this hall, while other kids learn. So it's one of those things that that you easily identify yourself in being different from others. And it contributed, you know, some of my actions past that point. You know, the, the school sees me as bad. My teacher sees me as bad. So I'm going to be bad. And uh, it kind of it kind of helps you kind of settle in the sand that you're already stuck in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I'm curious, what was because um, you, you said you were kind of going down the wrong path yeah. in your younger life. What was the turning point for you? Yeah. Well, I had an epiphany. Uh, my grandma had eventually passed away, so I found myself reunited with my mom, and my mom had gone through a very hard time in her life. You know, uh, things had gotten to the point where we found ourselves homeless, and we found shelter uh, in a shed behind an abandoned house. And, uh, you know, I always say when I share this that people have the capacity to normalize their suffering. You know, like we look at people in Africa, and we feel bad for them, uh, but they are able to find joy in their situation because it's life and they've learned to cope. So that's how it was. You know, I didn't see that as a shocker or anything like that. But I remember, um, you know, one night I had one of my homeboys with me. We came back to the shed. I had to change clothes. And I remember this look on his face. You know, we all grew up in the projects together. We were all poor. But, you know, I remember him seeing where we lived and, and kind of the look on his face told me that this was a different kind of poverty, you know, that we crossed the line, you know, and that was a very uh, harsh time for my family, uh, my mom, my little brother and I. I remember by this point, you know, I was kind of not going to school every day. You know, I was dabbling into drug dealing. And I remember uh, one night I was out with my friends and I was smoking weed. And weed has always had the opposite effect on me as it has on most people. I guess most people smoke it to chill and to get away from their problems. I'm one of those people that become paranoid and, and highly critical of everything. So I remember I came home from smoking with my friends <clears throat> and I walk into this shed and my mom and my little brother were arguing. And we always talk back to my mom because of the circumstances of our upbringing. And uh, I remember they were arguing. And it's like I had an epiphany. It's like it hit me for the first time. It was like, he shouldn't be talking to his mom like this. You know, we shouldn't be living in a shed behind an abandoned house. My mom shouldn't be choosing drugs over raising us. Like, I shouldn't be dropped out of school, running the streets with my friend. It was like the, the first time in my life, I saw my life for what it was. You know, I saw it outside of the, the worldview that I had at that time. And I realized that if I didn't to begin to make changes in my life, I was going to end up dead, shot, or a convicted felon like many of my friends at that point. And I got connected to an organization that still does a lot of work in our community. That organization is called Urban Youth Impact. And uh, they hired me on uh, through their summer work program. They had a summer work program for uh, young men like myself from the community that lacked work experience. Uh, they liked my work ethic during the uh, summer work program. And they hired me as an intern in their uh, after school program. And I remember in that after school program, working with little kids from my community, uh, seeing the joy in their eyes when they saw me, uh, the natural connection. I just felt like I was in my zone when I was with these children. And uh, being in this environment, the, like, the number one thing that that job gave me was just a different 
support group. You know, I started hanging out with the staff members uh, every day after work. And it kind of kept me away from my friends where, you know, every day when I'm with my friends, you know, we're thinking of a new way uh, to go deeper down the road we're already on. But the more time I'm spending with these other people, they're exposing me to different things outside of the community. And that's when I began to see that there was a world outside of everything I had been taught. And so then I, I'm like, you know, I got to do something. So I got I went to Barnes and Nobles and I always had a secret love for uh, reading. You know, I always uh, it was it's, I consider it a gift because reading, it really did save my life. I would go to Barnes and Nobles every day and I had another epiphany. I'm looking around uh, at all these books and I'm like, man, like anything anyone wants to know, all they have to do is come inside this place and find a book and they can become an expert on that thing. And I'm like, I started thinking about school. What is school? But a teacher taking you through a book. And I just hang out there. I ended up buying a GED book and I started studying for my GED book, my GED. And that's when I learned my I realized my learning style. You know, it's like it's not that I don't like education. It's just like I didn't like the way they were teaching me. I'm the kind of guy you leave me alone with a book. I'll come out with the answers. I don't do good when you tell me to go in front of the class. You know, I'm an introvert. So I started realizing my learning style. Uh, after a few months of doing that, I, I ended up getting my GED. And uh, after that, you know, I told the people at Urban Youth Impact that I had a childhood dream of becoming a fireman. I ended up going to EMT school and uh, graduating uh, EMT school to become an emergency medical technician. And, uh, you know, right after I started making I, I started making those changes, I connected with a family, uh, the Newsom family, uh, Michael and Michelle Newsom. Uh, Who just my, commented on our Facebook Live, yeah, by oh, the way, and said, that. good job. Yeah. What a coincidence. Yeah. Him and his wife took my little brother and I, you know, to relieve my mom of those responsibilities. And being in their home kind of provided me a, a bolstered support system that I never had before. And I remember uh, graduating from EMT school and I'm with this family now. My life began to look totally different from what it had before. You know, I believe that I, I now have hope. You know, I, I have a GED. I graduated from EMT school. My little brother would go on to graduate high school as the number one point guard in the state of Florida in basketball. He went on to graduate from the University of Cincinnati and now plays professional basketball in Brazil. Wow. He's in his uh, fourth or fifth year uh, playing overseas as a basketball player. What's his name? Farad Cobb. Wow. Yep. And then my oldest brother uh, came home from federal prison, a reformed man. You know, he didn't come back. He didn't dabble in the streets anymore. Uh, he got a job and he became a stand up uh, father to his children. And uh, my mother ended up going to rehab and cleaning her life up. And and like my family just began to look different. You know, I felt like because I started uh, making the right choices in my life, the blessings kind of fell on, on my entire family. So after I graduated from EMT school, my family's looking different. My situation's different. I'm like, if this can happen for me, and I consider myself the least common denominator, I feel like I was poorer than all the guys that I grew up with. Uh, my family was a lot more dysfunctional than many of the people I grew up with. And, um, and so I'm like, if this can happen for me and my family, why can't it happen for my homeboys? Why can't it happen for my friends? And that's when I gave up my pursuit of becoming a fireman and went on staff at Urban Youth Impact full time. And uh, and from there, you know, I just went from uh, nonprofit to nonprofit, 
uh, anyone dealing with young people uh, that would like me coming up. I worked at the Salvation Army Northwest Community Center down in West Palm, Children's Home Society of Florida, uh, most recently the Urban League of Palm Beach County. And uh, I always wanted to work with, uh, with young people I felt like were coming from where I was coming from. So, you know, there, there were a lot of things that kind of helped me become who I am, but I wouldn't be here today without those people who kind of got outside of their comfort zone to make a difference in my life. Yeah. Wow. So you said uh, you're an introvert. You are the most <laughs> well-spoken introvert I've ever met in my entire life. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'm going to yeah. beg to differ. <laughs> yeah. I, you, in yeah. some respects, you may be introverted, but yeah. in the current uh, extroverted yeah. example, yeah. you're doing really well. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's, a, it's it really is a gift, you know? But it's it, practice, right? Yeah. You, yeah. The more yeah. you. When I leave here, you won't be able to reach me for the rest of the night. You know, <laughs> these guys, after I've done something public, they can call, text my phone all day. I will not answer. They could be dying. I won't answer. I had enough of people. And uh, that's my that's my Achilles heel that once I've done those public things that require me to be outspoken, I got to go shut her up in the closet somewhere for a few days. <laughs> Regain your strength and energy. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It is. It, it, it take, can take a lot of uh, a psychic energy to yeah. engage on that level. And yeah, I loved your story just now because I was, you know, not expecting. I was almost thinking that you were going to tell me that, you know, your family ended up in a negative situation, unfortunately, yeah. and that only you had turned your life around. Yeah. But when you started to tell me yeah. your brothers and your mom and, yeah. and what you had done kind of rippled out yeah. into other areas of your life, just yeah. that one drop, that yeah. one change you made yeah. started to, you know, improve yourself and then go out onto others. I mean, that's beautiful. Absolutely. And, you know, it really stood out to me was the fact that you hear a lot of stories of people coming out of really bad situations and impoverished neighborhoods like that but for you to not only recognize that you got out of it but realizing that you wanted to take it a step with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Further and even not just your your friends and and family. You wanted to bring the community out of that, yeah. which is selfless, and that's epic love, and that's what we're all about. And that's why we are so happy to have you here. <laughs> yeah, in definitely. my opinion. You're one of the best guests we've ever had. Oh, oh so, thank you. So uh, how did you guys meet? Oh, uh, well, he <laughs> knows my wife a lot better. We we went to the same church, Grace Emanuel, yeah. uh, up in uh, up here in Jupiter. And he and my wife, I believe you guys did a retreat together, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then that is when she was just my girlfriend. Um, <laughs> and now she's my wife. And we just recently reconnected at a... Uh, we were just joking about before the show started. We we did a yoga class together. Where at the end of the yoga class, what you thinking about? He, I know it, <laughs> it was rough. We were both sweating, and not only did, did we sweat our butts off at the end of it, he had to go up and give. Uh, he he did a pitch for Hope Dealers after we were brutalized by the yoga class, and he yeah. did amazing. And it was really Thank inspiring. You. And that's what 
really brought him to my mind uh, to be on the show. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. Well, and, um, you know, the fact that you're going down this entrepreneurial path. Yeah. That is something that a lot of times, especially I think in the nonprofit world, yeah. where you get a lot of kind of motherhood and apple pie, you get feel good vibes. Yeah. And, you know, it's all about doing good. Yeah. So a lot of people in the corporate environment don't take nonprofit seriously in right. some regards. Right. Right. It's, especially yeah. when they start local. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. we, we're a, we we started local here. Yep. Um. And and that in itself. Yeah. You know, there really isn't a book to read on that. Right. Like that that <laughs> path is a a, a a major challenge to take on yeah. that a lot of people, you know, they say 90% of businesses fail. And, uh, you know, there's a great Steve Martin quote. He said, actors don't fail, they quit. Mm. And I think that applies in a lot of ways to a lot of paths. Yeah. Is that, you know, in, in, in the entrepreneurial world, you may fail, but if you don't stop, you're yeah. eventually going to get a win. Yeah. And uh, so I, I commend you for your entrepreneurial spirit. Thank you. Because it, you know, the why, you know, is invariable to the passion. Yeah. But it's also, you know, a lot of people have a why and they don't act on it. True. And it takes a, a, a huge effort um, yourself to take on that entrepreneurial role and build something. Yeah. You know, I guess the reason being, I've never truly saw myself as an entrepreneur. I view myself as an artist. Uh, back in 2015, I was, I was working at Children's Home Society overnight. And, you know, the summer West Palm Beach in 2015, it was a very rough year. We had over 108 murders. And most of these murders were happening in the community that I grew up in. And I'm seeing like young men that I went to school with, young men that I ran the streets with, you know, dying and killing every day. And I kind of lamented the fact that there was no one in the community uh, from a like a resident level rising up to provide perspective and leadership on this. And I had read a book by Seth Godin called The Icarus Deception. Yeah, Seth is and, awesome. Oh, I love that. Like he's the reason I'm doing this. And uh, Stephen Presserfield, The War of Art. And these books taught me that, you know, in life, you know, you got the way things are supposed to be where you can't do this until you finish school and you go to college and you have to have this, this and this. And reading these books taught me that I didn't have to have any of that to make a difference in my community. I have everything I need. So it taught me to be free in my approach to my work. So when this violence was happening, we started out organizing uh, community uh, peace marches, uh, showing up to uh, community forums that spoke about violence and just being a voice. And unfortunately, uh, near the end of 2015, we lost one of our first mentees. His name was Johnny Davis. He was killed uh, on a Wednesday afternoon, walking home from the store with a group of his friends. And, and that really uh, set me off in this path that I knew that I had to do something because I didn't want what happened to him to continue to happen to young men like them. You know, nowhere else in America is your life on the line walking home from the store like it is for young black males growing up in communities of concentrated disadvantage. So after that, after that, uh, the year going into 2016, I was sitting home and I was watching the news and I saw uh, commissioners basically going back to their seats unopposed. You know, no one was opposing them. 
And there was a commissioner over our community I felt like wasn't doing enough to address the violence. So I researched what a city commissioner was, and one of my friends who believed in me nudged me and said, you should do it. I ended up going down to city hall and running for commissioner. And I remember I walked out of city hall after signing the papers. I sent all, like I raised the money. I only raised enough to qualify. So I like, I'm, I'm reaching out to all my friends through social media and text messages. And I'm like, yo, could you give me 50 bucks? I want to do this. And I can imagine they're all like thinking I'm crazy. You know, they're like, bro, you're, you're a high school dropout. You dabbled in the street. What, what are you doing? You know, but they trusted me enough to give me the money. <laughs> so I remember I signed the paper. I paid the money. And I remember I walked out of there. I'm like, what the hell did I just do? I started thinking of all the negative ads that I saw on TV and politics and stuff. And I'm like, I surely did it to myself now. Well, fast forward, I ended up uh, coming in coming in second place out of three people. I garnered 4,000 votes. And that's a lot of votes Boom. for a municipal election. So that's a lot of social capital. You know, I was focused and I really uh, had determined to make the entire race about my community and the violence happening there. And that's what it was about, the the, the entire uh, race. And so, you know, I remember the mayor called me into her office, you know, and she was so uh, blown away by the campaign I ran uh, that she said she wanted to help me prepare myself to be an elected official. So she assigned me to the library board, and now I serve on the West Palm Beach Housing Authority Commission. And so now I'm going into the summer of 2016 with all this added social capital. And now I got this blank canvas. You know, it's it's all right, it's 2016, it's a new summer. What can I paint on this canvas that, that could be a beautiful picture uh, for my community? So I got the idea to organize a proactive peace march. I didn't want to be marching in memory of anyone that I had lost in the past. So we did a proactive peace march in the beginning of the summer, first day of summer to awaken the sensibilities of the residents and let them know that if we don't remain vigilant throughout the summer, we're going to have another deadly summer, the same kind we had last year. We also worked with city leaders to create jobs programs specifically geared towards the young men uh, that were most likely to perpetrate or be victimized by this gun violence. Uh, Brother Kevin Jones, uh, who does a lot of work in the community, we would do these uh, weekly uh, peace walks, you know, just to keep it before the people. Uh, we upped our mentoring efforts and we just were doing all these things throughout the summer. And I remember on the last day of summer before kids went back to school, I got a call from a news reporter that had uh, done a story on us in the past. And she said that, do you know that from the time you guys did the proactive peace march and all these activities throughout the summer, there's been zero murders in the Tamron Corridor? I can't remember one other time in my life that we hadn't had at least one murder in our community. And that showed the promise of, of everything I do now. That showed me that there's something to indigenous leadership, people from a situation rising up to make a difference in that situation. And, and my mantra, my life quote now is that real change happens when the people who need it lead it. So I feel like I'm, I'm an artist that's getting to paint this beautiful picture that's that's able and privileged enough to take what's normally considered a, a bad or a hopeless situation, and I'm able to pull it out and, and, and brush it off and discover a diamond in the rough. So that that's my life, and I think the the reason I've been able to persist because you know I believe if I saw myself as an entrepreneur, I'd be I'd be nervous, I'd be I'd be scared, 
But because I view myself as an artist, I don't view failure uh, as a thing. You know, an artist falls down, he gets up and he makes better art. You know, he doesn't stop being an artist because you didn't like his last piece. And that's how I approach what I do. You know, if I do something and it falls flat, you know how many peace marches I've planned that have been train wrecks? <laughs> you learn and you do it better next time. And uh, that's what I'm about. You know, failure is an opportunity to me. That's beautiful. An entrepreneurial artist. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think you may have just oh, defined a new, a new, a new <laughs> business term. Get that in the Wikipedia. Yeah, I claim that. That'll go in the textbooks. <laughs> So, so I'm curious, what age group do you work with? I work with young men between the ages of 15 and 24. Okay. Because they're the most at risk to, um, to, to perpetrate or be victimized by gun violence. When you look at the statistics, the number one uh, cause of death for black youth is homicide. Homicide. Completely preventable. But it's the number one cause of death for black youth. And uh, as someone that narrowly escaped that statistic, you know, I want to do everything I can, you know, because we are saving lives. You know, this is a, a life and death work uh, that my team and I get to be a part of. So what are some of the different things that you do um, with them to, you know, keep them down that, that right path? Yeah. Well, we primarily got three main programs and with a few that are kind of seasonal. But one is community engagement walks where we just walk through the community looking specifically to engage young men like them, young men between the ages of 15 up to 24 and offer them resources that maybe we don't offer. You know, maybe the Urban League has a jobs program. You know, maybe Urban Youth Impact has a program for you. And the problem is they're having trouble getting it out to the youth who need to know. So we walk the streets trying to plug these young men into the opportunities that exist in our city because they call them disconnected youth for a reason. You know, they're not connected to opportunities outside mm -hmm. of the community. So that's what we do. But we also we want to be visible. You know, we want people in the community to see us with these shirts on and know that there are people from this community that look like you, that grew up like you, that are not standing on the corner selling dope. But they're walking the streets trying to instill hope in everyone. And I want to give a shout out to my uh, my homie, Norman Austin, Sarne, Terion, Ronnie, uh, and everybody else associated with this movement because they are the hope dealers. They are the ones who still live in this community and that walks these streets to spread our message. And we also invite these young people into our second program, our Hope Dealer Mentoring Program. And Hope Dealer is obviously a play on the words dope dealer. You know, for young, young children will be what they see. And if they're most exposed to dope dealers, that's what they're going to want to become. So we want to expose them to, to hope deals through our hybrid mentoring program, which combines individual, group, and peer-to-peer -peer mentoring. Every Saturday, we meet as a group. Our main focus is social-emotional learning and community leadership. You know, this past Saturday, we took the guys to a graveyard to, to visit the gravesite of their friends that they lost to gun violence. You know, about five or six of my mentees have been shot since December. So they're very involved in the things that could cost them lives. So it's our job to expose them to the, the, the end game and the reality of some of the people they associate with and some of the things they involve themselves in. So we, you know, in that mentoring program, there's one on one, there's group. We help them find jobs. We we do all types of things, anything we can to 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 be big brothers and father figures to these young men. 
because most of them are fatherless. Most of them are in broken situations. And our third program is our anti-violence workshop. And if anybody wants us to come into their school, church, community center, we go into uh, these community centers or places where youth who live in these kind of communities reside. And I teach a workshop that I created called Safe in These Streets. And SAFE is an acronym. The S is for be smart about who you surround yourself with. The A is for be alert to your surroundings at all times. The F is for be fearless about getting yourself out of situations that can cost you your life or your freedom. And the E is for being an example of what it takes to stay safe in these streets. So we go, uh, we use content and things that are relevant to the youth that are gathered, and we try to instill these principles into them. You know, it's true that if you show a person your friends, they can show you your future, you know, but these kids aren't being taught how to navigate their communities. They really are living in a war zone. Many of these young people really do have PTSD from being shot at and seeing their friends die in their arms. So they need the wisdom to, to, to reduce the likelihood that they'll be a part of these violent cycles that consume the, um, their communities. And lastly, or fourthly, you know, it's one of those uh, peripheral programs that I'm really proud of. It's called the Outerhood Experience. And uh, one, each first Sunday, we gather kids from the community, our young people and anybody else from the community to uh, own yoga and wellness studio. And we teach the kids uh, mindfulness techniques to help them process their environments in ways that aren't self-destructive. You know, when you're seeing your mom struggle with paying the bills, you're not doing well in school, shootings are happening every night. It's hard to process that stuff. So we're focusing on giving these young people the tools to, to handle that stuff in a way that they're able to separate themselves from their circumstances. Incredible. I'm speechless. <laughs> I know. I know. It's just it's just so much good. Yeah. Nah, it's, it's an honor beautiful. to be doing the work. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. Ricky, I had a question. Um, obviously, working in communities like this, um, you being such a light in these communities is obviously going to adversely draw the attention to the dark in the community. Yeah. And the people who keep wanting to perpetuate this culture yeah. that's plaguing the city. Yeah. And I was just curious about some of the difficulties you've had to deal with over the years setting this up Yeah, as far as that goes. No, that's a good question. Traditionally, when we look at uh, the issues in communities like this, normally we say, all right, here's a bad guy, here's a good guy. But that dichotomy doesn't really exist. You mm -hmm. know, it's more of a spectrum. And, um, you know, because I know the nuances of that spectrum, I've been able to, you know, my old my older brothers were the neighborhood drug dealers, you know, so their friends know me, their friends know my story and their friends support me. You know, the guys that I grew up with, they are now standing on those same street corners. They know my story. They know what I've been through and they support and they respect that. And um, and so there hasn't been any backlash from a, a community level. You know, it's been a lot of support because when you think about, you know, why people turn to drug dealings, dealing, it's really because they perceive a lack of access. You know, they think they see it as their only route. You know, as us growing up in the hood, we really do grow up with the perspective that it's us against the world, that, that the system is against us and trying to keep us down. So why would we engage in trying to move up in the system that we feel is set against us? 
So, you know, there's a lot of uh, rewiring that needs to take place to change the system on a large level. But I believe that you start with programs like ours where you're emphasizing people like us who grew up in these communities and we're not trying to get away. We're willing to stay, sacrifice and build until these young people have a new normal. Because when they're able to grow up and they're able to look on that corner and see a dope dealer or look on the opposite corner and see a hope dealer, they now have a choice. And, and that's what we want to offer these communities. We want to show them a path. I never would have imagined that this was a job, that I can do this. Now they know it is. They can have a job bringing good to their hood. And, uh, and that's what I want to show. So the community supports us. You know, we're just trying to continue to expand. You know, we're kind of nomads now. We don't have an office in the community. But, you know, our dream is to have a hope dealer house where as these young men are, are getting older and they got to move out of the home, they shouldn't be filled with the desperation of where am I going to go? How am I going to do this? You know, they should have somewhere that's a headquarter where they can continue to learn life and bring good to their hoods at the same time. So I think uh, I think and that's why if I'm ever to expand, I'm not going to go into other communities and change it for them. I'm going to go into those communities and identify myself and empower that person to lead change in their own community, because that's how you get the support needed to really make a difference. So when you expand, what does that vision look like in five years, 10 years? Well, I'd like, like my first uh, thing is to have a hope deal with click in every community of concentrated disadvantage in Palm Beach County. You know, just like young kids, young kids are drawn to clicks. They're, they're drawn to gangs, whatever you want to call it. What it's, everyone else is doing. Right. Right. It, it's what you do. Yep. You know, so instead of trying to take these kids and pick them out of that, why don't you override and take over the whole yeah. group? How many areas of those are there estimated to be in Palm Beach County, would you say? Oof. I would say one, two. All right. In my community, the inner city of West Palm Beach, there's at least four. And it's less than a two mile radius. Mm. You know? So you take that and you spread it out countywide. You know, there could be 30, 40. Any pocket where drug dealing and crime is at an increased rate, that's an area that can use our clicks. So are you looking for. Folks in those communities that maybe hear your message and story, right, and they see what you're doing, yeah. are, are you looking for them to reach out and say, hey, I want to help? Yeah. Uh, you know, how, how does somebody, it may be in a community where they know they need this, right? And I mean, to quote you, because this is probably the greatest quote we've ever heard on this show, real change happens when the people who need it lead it. Yeah. So if they're that person, you know, how are they, how are they getting involved? Well, some people don't know they're that person, so it takes a friend. There may be someone listening where they may not feel like they're per- they're that person, but they know what to look for. They know someone that might be, and they're maybe making that connection, you know, or they're going in and they're looking for that person. You know, that could be a, connecting us is a host of different ways. You know, I've had people see a Facebook post and reach out. I've had people, yo, man, I know this young man. He's a good dude. He's just stuck in this pattern. You know, yeah. can you talk to him? And that's normally how it happens. You know, it all happens in relationship and on that on that ground level. Yeah, right on. I have another question. How do we get some of these T-shirts? Because I want one. <laughs> <laughs> You're actually lucky. I got a whole box in the car. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Y'all up after the show. I <laughs> am so excited to be a hope dealer. You have no <laughs> yes. idea. 
So we've got four minutes left on the show, and it always flies by uh, when you know it's such a, an engaging conversation. You're an amazing conversationalist um, yeah. and, and speaker and orator. And um, thank you, Sean, for the introduction. Yeah. Thanks for, for being here. I knew it was going to be a good one. Yeah, you guys are, you can see it. You guys are brothers of the universe over there. Oh, yeah. um, and uh, thank you guys for coming in and being a part of the show. I mean, it's real. It's a real yeah. honor. And we're so excited to be a part of helping to share your message. Yeah. Um, and we'd love to continue to be. Um, awesome. If you want to come back on the show in the future, if there's ways, you know, we have a really strong volunteer base and community. Yeah. And maybe there's a way that we can find a really cool idea yeah. uh, to support you and, and integrate awesome. and, and make something special out of it and bring um, bring epic love to the hope dealing world. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Or if you ever want to come sit in on a show, bring yeah. some guys, whatever you want to do, right. please. Actually, awesome. yeah, Sean, next week, forget it. Yeah. Rick, Ricky's, I'm out, Ricky's, you're out. I'm out, Ricky's. Ricky's coming. Out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, wow. It, it, yeah, we well, really enjoyed it. it I'm really speechless. I, I, I I'm gonna. This is. I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, I love these shows and I love being present with them. Yeah. And there's been, you know, a couple that I was like, man, I got, I'm gonna go back and listen to the show. Yeah. To just listen. Yeah. Because when you're in it, you're engaging. Yeah. It's yeah. it's nice. You hear it really from a different perspective, right? Yeah. I can't wait. Yeah. To go back and to listen to this again. Yeah. Because I learned so much. Yeah. And. You know, it's so obvious that you are a reader. Yeah. And you are yes. synthesizing that yeah. wisdom. Yeah. Um, what are your top we've got two minutes. Yeah. What are your top three books? If you were to recommend any to anybody listening, top three books yeah. you'd grab off the shelf and pass on. The Icarus Deception, The War of Art, and oh, oh I'm gonna forget one. I know. I gotta throw in the autobiography of Frederick Douglass. Right on. Mm, yeah. Seeing all that he overcame in the time that he was born in. True. Made me look at my life like this is a piece of cake. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm going to recommend some Alan Watts. Okay. So well, I'm going to his uh, YouTube. Show. I'm going to send you a link. Okay. So I, I paid to get his entire audio library. Nice. The audio files are so much more potent than what's yeah. on YouTube. Gotcha. So I'll send it to you. Okay. You can download. There's 200 talks on there. Awesome. You'll love them. All right. All right. Yeah. And this is how change happens. I'm so thankful for y'all. You know, like this is how we grow. You know, I'm just some kid that grew up in the hood trying to make a difference. And most of the connections that, that I create that help us make a difference is through situations like this. So I appreciate y'all. I appreciate everyone out there listening. And they can find out more about us at www.innercityinnovators.org. And uh, if it takes a village to take a child, imagine what it's going to take to to raise a community. So I appreciate all the help we can get. Absolutely. We, we loved having you. And like we said, anytime you want to come back, thank you for, for being here with us and for awesome. sharing your story and your vision. And it's beautiful. So keep going. Shout out okay. to these guys for standing up beside yeah, you. Yeah, that's the body yeah, you know, for sure. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, thank you all for tuning in out there in Facebook land. And uh, if you want to listen to this episode again or share it, because it's definitely one worth sharing, please check it out on Spotify or on iHeartRadio. And uh, a huge shout out to all of our sponsors who support the show to make it happen. Wow, this was a good one. <laughs> episode 51. Amazing. Yes. Keep promoting the positive and and share those inspiring stories of love through action. Thank you for everybody tuning in tonight. Thanks, guys.
Yeah, 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 yeah. Spread the love, spread the love all over the world. All God's people, spread the love, spread.